Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. It's a privilege to be here as always and I'm excited to share with you that our plans for the slight reboot of the show which we're going to be doing to celebrate our 250th episode in a few weeks have come along really well. We've got some exciting ideas and and a few little tweaks which I think uh, are going to revitalise what we're going to be doing but also bring even more value and, and sharing that inspiration which I know is so incredibly important. Now today I'm going to be chatting to Gail Swift and Gail's from Plans to Prosper Coaching. Now she's fiercely committed to guiding students and families to take action on their natural abilities and is a proven professional who can guide you to address how your child solves problems, the questions that motivate them and their ideal career. You've come to the right place to hear exactly her insights and her way of thinking which can just... I think feels like takes the pressure off in terms of everything has to be a certain way and actually diving into the things which we can do naturally and how we can then support our children knowing that from ourselves and also through them. So I'll be chatting to girls straight after this very short message from our sponsor. The National Association for Primary Education is a non-political UK charity. As Vice Chair, I'm delighted to be hosting six online CPD events to enable you to be supported as educators, no matter where you are in the world. To find out more information, go to nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. That's nape.org.uk forward slash online hyphen events. Gail, thank you so much for joining me on the Education on Fire podcast. It feels like we've known each other for a long time because various things that have happened in scheduling and <laughs> enabled us to actually be in the same place at the same time, albeit virtually. So thanks so much for being here. It's been months in the making and it's absolutely my pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Uh, it's going to be worthwhile. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, I so I help people find and follow what they're meant to do in life. Or I have a phrase that your pattern predicts your path. And I, that's so passionate to me. I want to work with every 15 year old in the world to have them know what it's like to be free to work your way. And I think for me, it's passionate because I was not celebrated in school to work my way. It was not something that teachers or my parents were jumping up for joy because I was last minute and random. So it's so important to me to have other people and kids and families know that every way of operating is absolutely perfect and needs to be celebrated. That's a big deal for me. And so I guess the reason all these things rub up the wrong way is because school looks a certain way. It has to go a certain way. You've got square pegs and round holes, and that, and that's you know, where I... all the all the issues arise. Because actually, like you say, if you're last minute, if you miss something, if it doesn't work in the way someone else wants it to be, then that's what causes the issues. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's it. You know that. Yeah, school teachers run a certain way, and if kids are different than that there's going to be trouble. And what I work with has nothing to do with how smart a student is or their personality. It's all about how they take action in their most productive route. So just because a student handles something differently than a teacher doesn't mean they're more smart or less smart. 
the path to get the problem solved. That's all that's different. That's all that's different. So talk us through a little bit about how you how you work in terms of how people come across you, how you work with them, how you develop these skills and, and, and the understanding that you provide. Families usually come to me or entities that work with kids usually come to me when they want to know a strength in the child or when they notice that it's very difficult to motivate that child. And, or there's a problem. Usually they come to me when there's a problem, families. And when there is a problem, it's usually a problem that is way beyond my pay grade because if that child's 16 and you've had 16 years of a pattern in the family, I'm not going to come along in three months and make that different. That's the first thing that needs to be established. But what is super important to recognize, and the parents need to know this, that 16-year-old will be successful and will be a contributor in the world when you allow them to work their way. And so when I work with them, I send them a series of assessments. I test the family and I test the kids. And when I get the results back, that's when the magic starts to happen. And some of the pain that goes with it, because there needs to be some pain associated with the experience because the parents are going to release the grip of how that child does things. And they're going to let that child fall and experiment and check things out. And it's not comfortable, but after a while, then they see that that child is completely capable and will be fine once launched. So it is online. It's a series of assessments. And then it's a series of meetings like this with me helping the parents and the kids. And I guess each situation is different then, depending on the parent's situation or their perceptions or, or how, how the relationship works with their child and, and, and also from the child's perspective as well. So I guess there's no two situations that are exactly the same. You're right. You're exactly right, Mark. It is very different depending on the ages of the kids. There's a nonverbal assessment if they're three years old then they obviously <laughs> can't read or write yet. So there's a bag of toys and then it kind of just goes sequentially from 10 years old until 20, there's another assessment. And then after 20, there's one after that. So it just depends on, it depends on where they are. You're exactly right. It's different for everybody. And you sort of said that it's often a problem or an issue or, or something that kind of sparks that need for, for extra help as it were. Um, and, do you find that there's any part of, of the situation where you're able to sort of help in advance? Because it would make sense that understanding these things and having some sort of training and some sort of guidance as a parent or, or indeed the, 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 the child as well earlier on sort of staves this off. Or is it always that kind of, ah, now we need to do something, having got a little bit past that point? In advance is ideal. I mean, you, you, you can see that exactly. Um, I can tell by your question. So if I'm working with an eighth grader, if I went to a school and worked with a bunch of eighth graders, which I did, having the students reach back out to me a year or two later to be reminded of their strengths, to remember their login, to get in to see their careers so they can see what electives they might take in high school or just remembering how they work best. Yes, the earlier that they know, the better. And there is a bit of... um. It's interesting I, your opinion on that because as far as the age of caring, 
right? Because a lot of kids, they're just not used to making their own decisions. So some of them don't really care about this information, and but the parents care more than the kids. Um, but the earlier, the better, if the parents are on board, because then they can help. Yes. And I always think that sort of having sort of seen, well, from two sides, but having seen obviously my children grow up, but also as an educator and in schools and that as well, that so much of it is about setting the environment, isn't it? Because you, you were sort of saying about the pain there and, and the, the the failing and, and the falling over it sort of physically and emotionally and all, and all of, all of that sort of different versions. But if you can actually create an environment where they're falling softly, as is, is it were, you know, you, you've got them, you know the parameters, you know exactly what's happening, but you're doing it with a kind of a soft landing as much as you can, then at least you know that it's working well. As a toddler, you know, you make sure that they're safe, but they still, even when they're physically learning to walk, you know, they're going to fall, something's going to happen, but you kind of set it up in such a way that it's going to be a positive experience. And I guess that's kind of the same sort of scenario from what you're talking about. You, you Didn't you see that? I'm sure you saw that in school. The kind of teacher that you must have been must have been one that allows the falling to happen because you know and have seen what happens on the other side, right? Is that true for you? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So now why do you allow that to happen or why did you allow that to happen with students? And then some teachers don't have room for the fall. I think a lot of it can be the fact that you don't have time for the mess, as it were. You know, the, the whole learning experience should be a series of things which you're learning from. And that, of course, is going to be different for everybody. And when you've got classes of 30 or more, then you haven't got time to assess and be part of all of those things to help sure. them grow and, and to move on. And so I think what you want is the least point of resistance. And so that's why we're very much in that tradition, kind of imparting knowledge and and just kind of ha having to be a certain way, just because the actual practicalities of, of any given school day or school system is, is still very much stuck in that sort of scenario. Do you believe that people or do you believe that people, kids are born to learn? Do you believe they're born curious? I think absolutely they are. I mean, I think, you know, we must be hot wired to thrive. You know, you, as you get older, you know, you only have to be around a child that's growing and being inquisitive. And as long as they're, they're able to keep that going without being shut down, then that's going to be the case. You know, they grow, they learn to walk, they want to explore, they want to be part of everything. And you're there to help and guide and, and support in that way. But I think one thing you do see very early on is the fact that it doesn't take very many negative messages or many situations which are, are negative and sort of slightly closed in order for that to start to change. And then, of course, the child is still doing the same thing. They're still learning, but they're learning that not being inquisitive is actually what's required because that gets a reaction, which is something which they know they ought to do, whether that's right or wrong, depending obviously on the family situation. That's That hurts my heart. When you see like a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old not being inquisitive and curious because they believe that adults are just going to come and tell them how to do it anyway, that that's painful. That's painful. So if you knew this about, if you know how someone works, this innate talent, this cognitive piece of the piece of the mind, if you know their pattern, then why wouldn't you allow them to make their own age-appropriate decisions to keep the curiosity alive.
that makes sense to me. Yeah, for me too. But I, I guess the the point is often that either the parent or the adult or the teacher or, or whatever the circumstance is, they're obviously not exposed to that at an earlier age or understand that as a concept. Or even if they wanted to, they don't feel like they've got the environment or the time to be able to do that. Right. So I, I, I guess the... I guess one of my questions would be is how do you kind of if you feel like you don't have that and you're stuck or or you don't quite have the situation where you you feel confident to allow that to be the case how do you make maybe the baby steps or the kind of things that actually would be very positive yeah that's a that's a great question mark they are baby steps they are baby steps so every parent wants to have a relationship with their kids they don't necessarily want them to live with them for the rest of their lives but they want a relationship with their kids and they want their kids to be productive, active members in society, givers, not takers. And in order to be an active contributor, I believe that for me, my kids need to take responsibility for their actions. So I was the parent who was the hoverer because I grew up that way. I grew up with helicopter parents. They were all over me. They were very particular about how I solved a problem and what I did. And that didn't work for me. And I rebelled against that. And with my own kids as guinea pigs for this, I recognized that with the freedom to choose comes direct consequences based on their decisions. And over time, when they have seen those consequences from their decisions, They've learned, obviously, they're not going to blame anyone else for their problems because they've created the situation. And the older they get, of course, the questions change, as you know, and you continue to bring an awareness to their decisions. So if you have a, like, if you don't, if this doesn't happen until the child's older and they're ingrained in something, and a lot of kids or parents, I don't think, want to see this. I don't think they want to see the pain. And that's why they wait until they're out of the house and they say they can do this when they're gone. I don't really want to deal with this because it's too painful for me to watch. When I took the, I would say another approach and I thought with my own kids, I want to watch them go through this under my roof because I want to be there with them next to them, not taking them out of the situation, but encouraging them in their strength because I had their blueprint in front of me. And I would say, what's your plan to one kid? Or I would say, what are you going to do next? How are you going to do it differently? And encourage them so they can learn to deal with the adversity. And then they're set when they get out. So it was just, it's just another, and I don't even know what the question was. I kind of went off on that a little bit, but that's, that's how I've handled it um, so far with my own kids. I really, I really identify with that because I think, one of the things that we do as parents sometimes is we we kind of feel like like say you will learn your lesson when you're ready but i think that kind of sh um shirks the responsibility of a parent you know it's mm. i i often go back to this kind of thing about you know if a toddler wants to play in the road as the responsible adult i'm not going to allow that to happen because i know there are cars you know the, the consequences are high and therefore you know, you can play, but I'm going to give you the environment that you need in order to be safe while learning what you need to learn. But there seems to be, as you start to get a little bit older and certainly into the teens, 
that philosophy sort of, sort of disappears and it's that kind of well you can learn on in your own time but i think at that sort of age you need to kind of have that even more you know they may want to rebel they may want to kind of push the boundaries they may want to kind of explore but i think you still have a certain amount of kind of no this is okay this isn't okay and like you say and i think that intertwines with a you know what what how do you want to be a service how do you want to show up how do you want to project yourself rather than it just being about me even if there's some sort of tension or pushing between the parents and the child i think somewhere in the middle there you kind of create that environment which is then positive and nurturing and expansive rather than it just being okay we're done now and then when like say when you leave you'll learn to cook or you'll you'll learn to look after somebody or or you know or you'll learn to whatever it is that you have to do when you leave it's all it seems to be that that responsibility goes all the way through so hopefully you know as you sort of let them go as it were they're in a position to make those decisions based on experience rather than just oh now i'm literally having to do it and then working out as i go so true mark so true yes Yes. So are there any common themes that you find um, through the people that, that you've worked with? Is it kind of certain issues, certain ways of being which cause the friction or, or, or can it be diverse depending on each person? It, they, well, they are. Yes, <laughs> there are. I would say there are themes. If you're different from the teacher, that's that's a common theme because those kids are often I would say miss or overdiagnosed with various syndromes or issues that may or may not be the case that this can prove that that would be the main thing. Um, that would be the main thing. And then I just worked with business owners at a mastermind the other day. There were 15 people around that table, Mark. And for the first time, like in their life, Right. If you if you don't know this till you're an adult and you've owned a successful business for a long time and you've been shooting on yourself about what you're not doing and not focusing on what you are doing well, you're going to see this information that's innate that you're born with, that you're going to die with, and you're going to think, oh my goodness, this is the first time that I'm actually hearing that I don't need to finish everything I start. But I've been taking on that because so-and-so says I need to finish this or the world says I need to finish this. <clears throat> and if you're not born with that need to finish what you start, you're going to be a little handicapped with that negative energy on you. So this frees, it frees you up to take your highs and make them higher. Everyone is whole. Everyone is born absolutely perfect. I don't believe there are any deficits that need to be filled, but we are not good at everything. That's why we're meant to be in community, to have other people we work with and come alongside with and work together to fill in the gaps because not one person is 100% at everything. That's why I believe we're meant to be in community. And we're not meant to live in silos and one-man bands. Obviously, the same thing goes with students. You have so much talent in one classroom. So much talent. And this has nothing to do with sex, age, religion, race, money, nothing. You're, when you see the talents on the lanyards of the kids and the kids 
start looking at the other student like, oh my goodness, you can build this project. Oh my goodness, you can do the details and you can do the plan and you can brainstorm. Then they start using each other to fill in the gaps and create a team environment to solve the problem. And what happens is curiosity comes back. Curiosity and passion come back because the kids are able to decide how to solve the problem, which is a beautiful thing to see. And it really comes down to, I guess, really kind of understanding. And and I've had I've had this conversation relatively recently with my daughter. Is the fact that you like you say at school, as as an example, you know, it's like you're taking all of these subjects, and the perception is, and it comes from the schools very much so, is the fact that you should be aiming for the highest grade that we want you to get, <laughs> not a reality check on what's possible or or even on on like you said what because yeah it's it's more it's more um nuanced than that because you could actually study as hard as you possibly can to get the highest marks you can in every given subject but if that's taking away time from you actually like you say following your passions and actually using the skills you've got in other things then you're actually losing out even if you came out with you know top grades and everything i still think you would have missed out on the amount of time it takes in order to be able to thrive at the things that you're really good at and like I say as soon as you understand that you can work together and, and make those things happen collaboratively exactly. then, it's, yes. then, then it's going to make all the difference and but it's really hard to do that when you know for six seven eight hours a day you're in an environment where people are telling you completely different things did your daughter understand that when you talked to her about that the time and the balance yeah because she's quite smart she's always been very kind of you know strong-willed and understood herself and no matter whatever we've ever said and she's been like this from a very young age she's like yeah but i'm not you it's like the perfect answer you know it's that kind of no you're right actually and i'm telling you what i think but but i'm not you so i'm gonna do it my way and you just think wow you know that's good because so often it's the it's the it's the role reversal of that um but it's quite hard to sort of understand how that would happen like say if you've got a yes person or a, a child that wants to impress all the time and wants to feel like as long as they've done the best they can for everybody and kept them all happy rather than it being i guess just swindling um swindling it around and just saying this is about me and i'm going to step into my truth and what i want to be able to do and allow the rest of it to happen but that's quite difficult i think like you say if that environment's not been set from a young age yeah so did you have an environment where you were free to be yourself when you were young? I would say yes and no. Um, yes, in as much as my parents very much follow your dreams, do what you love. You're a long time doing it, um, which was something they didn't have. You know, they it was very much um, you should do this and then you should do that. My dad was much more kind of did do what he liked in the end, but really didn't like school. My mum didn't quite follow what she wanted because life got in the way in inverted commas. Um, and so they were very much for me and my sisters, you know, do what you love because th that's really important. But I think that still didn't come from that means you don't want to spend time doing this. It was much more about do the best you can in everything, but make sure you've, when you decide what you want to do, you put your effort into that, if that kind of makes sense. So it's sort of a bit of a halfway house, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so isn't it interesting too, when your daughter says that, so I had a bit of an ego before I got into this work. I, I was, very, I was arrogant flat out. And I would, my parents would of course say, 
just because I told you so or whatever the case may be. So there were several points with my own kids where I, when like a kid would say that, well, that's you, that's not me. And I would say, I don't care, right? There's a moment. And then it, that was all ego. That was all my ego. That was, that was me just wanting it my way. Um, and that, like that, because I in, ingrained in me is, oh, then you're going to have kids that don't listen to you and don't pay attention to you if you don't have it done. These were all the things, that, whatever, they weren't true. But I had to like change that mark. I had to think, okay, what do I want? And so I had to measure it to a different measuring stick than the old tapes that I was playing about obedience and good kids, right? Because I might've learned the rules and the protocol in life, but it wasn't a heart issue necessarily. It wasn't a character issue. And to me, the inside is, is the rudder. The inside will move mountains. So when that child knows who they are, everything else will take care of itself. But as a parent, I had to realize I had to make that transition and get my ego out of it. And that I, poor kids, like that took a few years for them <laughs> to deal. And then I was just apologizing all the time. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm, I did that wrong. I'm a, I apologize. We've never lived through this before. We're in this together. Yeah. And I, and I, and I love the way that it's that kind of, you know, you don't get taught about character. I mean, I know, I know that there's sort of bits and pieces of things that probably happen in general and there's ongoing dialogue in a kind of a, a way that you want life to be or how you want to be in, in that. But I think actually being explicit like that in terms of, you know, what is your character? You know, what are your values? What is it that you really, how do you want to show up? What do you want to do? I'm not sure that those conversations happen enough on a regular basis to see, how how that's gonna how that's gonna take you forward and i'm interested to know when you're talking about everything taking care of itself you know you're following your passions you're following what you want to do and you're sort of stepping into your own light as it were is there a level of education a level of knowledge a basic level of something that you think everybody needs to have that then supports that to go forward or do you think it all happens organically um, from a young age, as long as you're given that um, opportunity to to walk into it, as you've been talking about, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I I have my own. I have my clients as an example, and I have my kids, and I can use my kids as an example because they have been in this the longest. But are you talking about like higher education or learning? No, well, I'm just I'm just kind of thinking. You know, if you get to sort of um, middle school or high school mm -hmm. or something, and you you know, so I'm a musician, for example. So in in order to become a musician, I had the opportunity at school to experience something I wouldn't have had had I not been in that school. However. I could put all of my effort into that, which I did in order to become a professional. You know, it to take a right. lot of a lot of time and a lot of effort and the ten thousand hour rule and all that kind of stuff. However, in order to support my career and the things that I did around it, you know, I did learn that in order to budget, in order to put programs together, in order to write things I needed to do related to all of those things. I guess I would have learned them, but I would have had to have learned them a lot later. It was only a kind of a more traditional foundation in the basics of education that I may not have done automatically or organically or, or walked into that I still needed to support this other side. So I'm just curious as to as to sort of how those two things work together. Right. You're and you're so what what happened, what I'm hearing you say is that filling in the gaps 
filling in the gaps was what you did when you needed to do it. Mm. Right? For you? Yeah. So that's yes, that's that's true. So here there this that's funny that you asked that. I've never talked about this before. There is a there's a cost to doing everything that you I think is amazing. So I thought it would be amazing for my kids to be in their high school of with a track, a magnet school with their cybersecurity track and their construction track. But what I didn't see, and this is where there's always something behind the curtain, good and bad, is that my kids would not be part of or be involved with school dances and sports. And so is there a cost to being in your lane? I don't know if this is like what you were talking about or not, but I this year I recognize there's a price that they're paying for following their dreams. There are traditional things that I went through that they're they're not being a part of the same way. I don't know if that's good or bad. It's just a notice for me. But did have they known what they're going to do for like when they were 10? Yes. I mean, have they, are they waning or changing much about that? No, they will continue like you, Mark, fill in the gaps. Um, my son is going to own a business. That's what he wants to do. So he's learning Spanish. It's extremely difficult. He wants to then move to just a Spanish speaking country and learn it that way. Will he do that? Probably like that's how he's going to learn. So when they have the freedom, what I found when they have the freedom to continue to be curious they will learn like you did the way that you do it best, or you'll get what you need to fill in the blanks to do the big picture. Yeah, I think I, I, I can, I completely understand that. And um, I just, I think there's just, I guess you get it anyway, because you have to go to school or you have to have a certain amount of education. Right. You know, you can, you can already add up, you know, you can already write to some level and then you just take it to the level that you need no matter right. Um, what you're doing but one of the things I just want to pick up on what you said which I think is probably the key to so many things is that is you said it's a notice and I think that is the is the key that unlocks so much for so many people because as soon as you notice something all that then means is the fact that anything that comes from that I should be doing this I should have done that I will do this I'm missing out on that it's all just mind chatter mm-hmm. and once you know that, ah, oh, I've noticed that's the case, and you can separate out, like you said, whether it's your passion, whether it's your sense of self, whether it's your calling, however you want to describe it, compared to the mind telling you, like you say, you should be a straight A student, you should be studying a broad thing, you should be doing all those other things together. I'm missing out on, you know, the dance or the or the track or whatever it happens to be. When you can just allow the chatter to go on and not identify it with it yourself, and you're able just to go, but I know who I am and what I'm able to do then I think that then unlocks a, a space and a, and a kind of a calm and tranquility, which I think probably supports the sorts of things that you're talking about. Yes. Really good. Thank you for that circle back and that, that notice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's true. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do. And that's my own chatter coming through a lot because that's my lens. Mm-hmm. And I, don't think that it's I don't think those sorts of conversations happen very often and I guess because it takes you into into a whole world of I guess whether you can call it spirituality or whether you want to call it you know the essence of who you are I like you say but I think a lot of what we've been talking about today is very much a projection of that and in order to be able to walk into 
following you what it is that you want to do you if you don't allow that separation of of knowing who you are as a person and how you want to spend your time doing it like say that's where the, i guess the grind starts to come in and and I, and I guess that's where you're able to help because you're able to identify and point these things out and 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 just take us into a little bit about what some of the practical things are that you do or the sorts of conversations or the way that you help people when they find themselves in that position there are four modes of behavior that i measure actually kathy colby came up with this algorithm in 1987 it's proven over time to be valid and reliable, does not change. And the first mode is details. So you either you need the details to make your best decision or you don't. The second one is organization systems. So you need organization or you don't. These are needs. They're not wants. They're all needs. The third one is risk and uncertainty. So you need risk or you need to stabilize. And the fourth is your need to get your hands on the environment. So You'll need to touch the world to make it a better place, or you don't need to touch the world to make it a better place. Those are the four modes. And when I say your pattern predicts your path, Mark, I mean that if you know you are innately not into the details, you can already know and your audience and your listeners know what careers are probably not going to happen. Does this make sense? If you don't need the details, like an accountant or a librarian is probably not going to happen. If you are a child that needs to get your hands on things, all outside, bouncing, touching, touching your neighbor in circle time, needs to feel things that is not going anywhere. I would make my son, one of the store rules was not touching the stuff. He needs to touch stuff. So now I just made a bad child out of an innate gift before I knew. If I knew this about him, I would have given him a rabbit's foot or a smooth stone or something to touch. These people will be race car drivers, pilots, chefs, craftsmen. You get the idea. Yeah. So there are innate strengths that lead to success down the road that they're born with. For me, I found it easier to go with the grain instead of against the grain. Why not go with their natural grain instead of against it? So that, yeah, that's what I've done. Yeah. And as soon as you take away any kind of traditional education for that, it makes it so much easier, doesn't it? You know, I'm not interested whether it's maths or English or French or science. It's, you know, like I said, innately, what is it that you like, you know, and, and how, do you, how do you work in the world? And, and you can pick that up pretty early on, like I say, based on all of those sort of observations that, that, that you've made from there as well. So let's just go slightly full circle in terms of, of your education experience and, and maybe a teacher that, that you had in terms of what did you learn or what experience did you have that kind of made you first sort of sit up and notice and think, oh, there's more here than just being at school or just being taught something that sort of had that human connection, which I guess must sort of feed what you're on now. A few things. Um, Mrs. McNichols in sixth grade made me stay after school to write a full paragraph structured, structured paragraph, first sentence to last sentence, opening conclusion, whatever the case may be. And I, at that time, that was extremely painful. Not only was I done with a seven hour day with a need not to finish anything I start, I was exhausted as a kid. And all I wanted to do was get out of there. And I felt very stressed out that I was put in that situation 
at the end of the day to learn how to do this very rigid system of building a proper paragraph. Was it needed? Absolutely. If I had known myself, would I have been able to say, hey, you know what? Can we do this? Can I come early? Can I come early instead of stay late? Can we work on this for 15 minutes? Because that's the capacity I have. I don't know if I would have been able to do that at a sixth grade or this didn't even exist when I was in sixth grade. But when you know that those are the kinds of conversations and those are the things I teach my students or my kids is to have those conversations. Because when you know what you can handle, then you can learn more and you can do it well. I'll remember that experience because of how it felt, not because of what I learned. The second thing that I, I learned in school in seventh grade was I was very good at giving speeches. I loved getting up, practicing, rehearsing, telling stories, telling stories. So if I can think off the top of my head and that's natural for me and that's my sweet spot, what does that look like? Years later, am I going to be getting up in front of a bunch of students? Am I going to be telling them a story to influence them, to help the world be a better place? Absolutely. Those are some moments of me recognizing how my MO was taxed or how I went with my natural grain. Yeah, and I, I love the I love that fact that so many of these conversations I had it's all about how you feel like you say it's not about the circumstance or what you did it's all about either how that teacher made you feel positively or negatively or the situation and how that made you feel but that's that's innately almost going full circle to what we've been talking about because you inherently know how to spend your time and your energies based on who you are and the person who knows you best is yourself if you allow yourself to have that space and that understanding and, and like i said i think we're probably in a better position now in the modern world as in where we are now you can argue what modern means but in terms of maybe having that conversation because i think a, a student could have a conversation like that now to many more teachers than maybe they they, they could have done a few years ago um what would you give to yourself as some advice if you were looking back to, to some of the, in the sort of earlier years or, or some great advice that was given to you that's had a big impact on your life? Be patient, be kind and love yourself where you're at. Yeah, I love that. I think the patience thing is such a, an important factor. We're so kind of time driven, aren't we, with, that, with so many things. I think just knowing yourself, like I say, be patient, love yourself, allow it to happen as it's meant to develop i think is is so key and, and and just finally is there is there a resource that's had a big impact on your life and this can be a film a, a song a book a podcast could be anything but something which is really something that you'd like to share the moments that have made the biggest impact mark are the ones that no one really sees it's the side comment it's the question that i might ask when no one's looking and i'm not really thinking about it it's when i'm relaxed and free to learn and it's taken me years to be okay with how I work because it's not like the way the teachers or my parents worked. It's, I would say the moments and I, I don't, I can't get any more. I'm not going to get any more specific than that. I don't have any more specifics, but I leave a lot of white space on the calendar for grow time. And it's in those moments that I gain confidence and learn the most. And I'm able, to give, I'm able to give back to people too. If I don't have white space on the calendar, I'm not able to give back. And that's super important. 
I love that. And it's it's just it's it's, it's just why so these questions often they just they just kind of touch me in as much as you they're very simplistic in terms of the questions, but the response, not in terms of the answer, but the, the, the way that you interpret them and how they come back, it changes per person. And I think, you know, that was um, just one of those moments where, you know, it's not a book, it's not this, it's a, it's a part of life. Like you say, I, I like the way you described it, it's that sort of white space, because then all of a sudden I felt much calmer. I kind of could understand how how you can just be in that space and allow it to happen. And that just gives you everything that you need, which is what you've really so eloquently been telling us this entire time about the fact that you just need to be yourself and walk into it. So, Gail, thank you so much for being here and sharing all these insights and, and fascinating conversation. Do please tell people where they can find out more about you and everything that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, you are welcome to get hold of me at Gail at plans to prosper coaching.com. Gail at plans to prosper coaching.com. And that's my website too, is plans to prosper coaching.com. Fantastic. Gail, thank you so much. And it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And uh, yeah, hopefully get the chance to do it again soon again. Thank you, Mark. I agree. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.